This week's parsha is Parsha's Tazria, and the accompanying parsha, which we're not going to lane this Shabbos, but very often we do lane them together, is Mitzayra, Tazria Mitzayra. And the reason why they go hand in hand is obvious because Tazria uh, describes the particulars of um, the various types of Nagayim, the uh, the afflictions that sometimes happen uh, as a result of primarily Lashon Hara, and Parshas Mitzayra teaches us the way to be Mitzayr from the Tuma of Tsaras. So I want to really focus a little bit on the Tara process, which appears at the beginning of Parshas Mitzayra, and. From that, we're going to, I think, gain a uh, tremendous set of insights into the severity of Lashon Hara and perhaps a great Eitzah how to avoid Lashon Hara um, if we want to. So the Psukim in Parshas Mitzayra begin by saying that if a person has Tzaraf, and now comes the time to be retired from that saras, to purify himself from that uh, terrible affliction, from those uh, saras. So what you're supposed to do is, you're supposed to take two sipirim, two birds, and the kayin proceeds to shecht one of them, and the blood of that one we take the live bird and dunk into that blood. So the live bird is basically um, completely immersed in the blood of the dead bird. The dead bird is disposed of, and the live bird we basically set free to fly away. And that's a part of the process of the Tara of the Mitzayra. Arashi asks why it is that we use specifically birds. Why is it that we don't choose perhaps another type of animal? And he says the following, quoting Gemara and Erechin, that Nagayim generally come because of the Avera of Lashon Hara, Shehum Maisa Pitpute Devarim. Lashon Hara is basically chatter. What is Lashon Hara? Lashon Hara is schmoozing. We're schmoozing together and we're at a Shabbos table together, we're in a dorm room together, we're on a, on a plane together, and we begin discussing different things, which of course evolve into discussing different people. And so it's chatter. That's what Lashonara is when you examine what you're doing. Therefore, the Torah deems it necessary to include in the process of the Torah of the Mitzrayah birds. Shemifatvetin tamid of kail. Because birds, that's what they do. Birds chatter, birds chirp, birds twitter. That's what birds actually do. And so by using birds, we have a very important symbolism here that you're speaking Lashon Hara, you're talking too much. You're chattering without thinking. You're tweeting without thinking. These are things that people do, whether it's Bichsav or, or, or Baal Peh. Lashon Hara is not only 
talking. Lashnara might be texting. It might be emailing. It might be WhatsApping. It might be anything. But you're spreading gossip about somebody else. You're speaking bad stuff about somebody else, or even good stuff for that matter, which will often lead to bad stuff being discussed. Just don't talk about people. Stop talking about people. You're okay. And that's why birds are very important. It's a reminder that don't be a bird. Don't be a bird that just keeps talking and chittering and chattering and tweeting and and chirping. Stop talking so much. You're not a bird. You want to act like a bird? Saras comes on you. Einshim come on you. Rachman al-Litzlan. And now you need a process to get out of it. That's the basic yisaid that Rashi, in the, based on the Gemara and Erechin, uh, provides for us at the beginning of Parashas Mitzrayim. In the Sefer Lekachdas, he gives uh, further symbolisms of what's going on in this parasha that I think is so key to understanding um, what this parasha is all about. Somebody just asked me the other day, what's your go-to Sefer? I said, my go-to Sefer is Lekachdas. Lekachdas by Rav Ozban, the Rashiva of tells in, in Cleveland, he put out a, they put out a Sefer of his, and I've said it over and over again, it's Mamish Gems, it's Kedai, to, we have it in Yeshiva, just look at it, it's unbelievable, every parish you'll find diamonds. So he says like this, let's understand more of what's happening in this Tara process, in this purification process, um, so the first thing that happens is, like I said, you take two birds, one you shecht, the blood is, let's say, in a, in a bucket, and you take the other bird that's still alive, and you dunk his body into that blood of the dead bird, and that's the first step in the process. So Rav Ozban goes and explains this. What's the symbolic import of this? And he says the following, very obvious. He says that when a person speaks Lashon Hara, what he's basically very simply doing is he's immersing himself in the blood of the person that he's talking about. He has a victim he has basically spilled the victim's blood, and his atzamis, his etzem, his mahus, I am becoming alive, I am becoming prideful by immersing in the blood of my friend. Basically, I'm destroying my friend, and through that, I am elevating myself. And that's exactly what we do when we speak Lashon Hara. We're basically shedding somebody else's blood. This is Chazal. Chazal say this. Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar brings this um, on that parasha. And he brings it from the Medrash Tanchuma. And there are many such Medrashim. But basically there's a Pasuk in Mishle Yudches that says, HaMaves V'chayim Biyad HaLashon. Life and death all are in the hands of a tongue. What does that mean? So the Tanchuma says, Hakol Taloi Beloshin. Everything in life is dependent on the tongue. How you speak 
is the difference between life and death. The choices that we make by our words really decide our fate. If you're zaycha to speak properly, you'll get life. If you're not zaycha to speak properly, you'll get death. Asak adam batayra belashainai. If you choose to use your tongue to speak taira, so then zachalachayim. There's no greater life than speaking taira. A person that speaks taira, a person that lives taira, he has the ultimate chiyas to him. People that are busy learning Torah, the neshama of these people are happy. They're able to, to be pleasant people, people that are, bring up beautiful children, have a beautiful family life, have real friendships. There's nothing nicer than a person that constantly speaks Torah. What could be nicer? That's Chaim. That's real life. But if a person chooses that same gift of speech. Asak Balashin Hara Mishayev bin Nafshay Lamas. Shekasha Lashinhara Mishvikastamin. Lashinhara is worse than Shvikastamin. Says the Maj. Not even Shvikastam, it's worse than spilling blood. Why? He says, because when you kill somebody else, you're killing one person. When you speak Lashonara, you're killing three people. You're killing yourself. Your neshama is finished. You're killing the person that you're talking to, the, the Makaba Lashonara. What is he? What did he do wrong, Nebuchadnezzar? He has to be in your presence and hear your Lashonara, and he's going to be an accomplice, Lashonara, in your Lashonara, because he's now on your team of Lashonara. It's very important. Don't think that listening to Lashonara absolves you from it. Don't think, well, I'm just present by somebody else speaking Lashnara. But I'm not going to be on the hook for that. That's his problem. I'm just enjoying it. You're also Chayiv. If you're a Makabal Lashnara, if you're a person that listens to Lashnara, you're also on the hook. The Chavetz Chaim in his old age was very hard of hearing. And they wanted to get him, the family wanted to buy for him what was emerging technology of some sort of hearing Aid apparatus. Obviously, it wasn't the uh, you know the, the the ones that we're, we're accustomed to today. That's much more of a, a recent uh, invention. But they used to have like a you know one of those uh, horns or whatever things to enhance the the hearing. Whatever was the current uh, hearing aid apparatus at the time. So the family says, you know, it's not comfortable for you. It's not comfortable people talking to you that uh, you shouldn't be hearing things. Well, explicitly, you know, get we'll get you one of these things. So he says, no, I don't want it. He said, I've been spending my whole life trying to perfect talking, not talking Lashon Hara. He says, but it's very hard not to be Makabo Lashon Hara. People come to me, they're talking Lashon Hara to me. How do I stop that? So, you know, the Gemara says you should take your earlobes and put it inside your ears. But we know that that's not so practical always. People are talking to you. You can't just run away. You can't, you know do something that's rude or, or it's hard to do something that's rude and, and, uh, and, and, and scold the person that stops it. He says, now I have a great out. I can't hear. That's a wonderful thing. I don't want to be able to hear all the Lashonara. Now I don't only have the ability to perfect what I'm saying, but also the ability to perfect what I'm not listening to. It's great. So it's the person that is speaking Lashon Hara that's going to destroy his nefesh. The person who's listening to Lashon Hara, 
and of course the victim of the Lashon Hara, the person that you're talking about. That's also Shvi Chasdamim. It's three people who are on the floor in a, in a meta, metaphorical, metaphysical way during the process of Lashon Hara, three Karbanas. And so Lashon Hara is really an act of destruction of Shvi Chasdamim. And it's really nothing less than that. Because what you're doing is really, because you have a high about speaking about somebody else and you're saying something negative, what you're really doing is you're destroying that person. How are you destroying the person? Are you really killing him? The answer is yes, you are. Because when you speak badly about some, somebody, you are destroying others' perception of that person. And that has very deep, very long-lasting ramifications. Think about it in our own world. Let's say you know a certain person. You have a, there's a person in yeshiva, let's say, and you don't know him that well. From a distance, he looks like he's a, a great boy and he, you know, a nice boy, and you have only positive things to say. And now somebody comes over to you and says, just schmoozing, that guy, he's really not so smart. Not a, you know, he, he's not so smart. The rest of your life, I promise you, the rest of your life, you will look at this guy differently. You might not think you will, you try not to macabre, but at the end of the, every time you see that person, you will look at the person as that, in, in your file, in your brain, of that person, not smart. And that has very important, I mean, first of all, it's just some, you, you kill the guy to that person or to the group of people that you spoke to, you kill the guy's image. He, he could have been a fine, and he probably is smart, but you said that, you planted a seed in everybody's brain, you have destroyed the image that that person should have, you, alter, you, you utterly killed it. And now what's going to happen? Now, fast forward a couple of months, years later, somebody calls you about this boy, he wants to, you know, somebody wants to read a shidduch, or this boy was read to his daughter for a shidduch, you get a call, you're a reference, or they knew that you were in yeshiva at the same time. What do you think of Chaim? Is he good for my daughter? Well, you know, I don't really want to say this, but it's shidduchim, I'm going to be honest with you, he's not so smart. Oh, thank you very much for telling me. Shidduch was up. That might have been a very nice shidduch. But you had to say to that guy that he's not so smart, so now... This guy just ruined a chance of getting a nice girl for a shidduch. He mamish destroyed his chances in life. Or you get a call about him for a, a job. Somebody's doing some research about whether or not he's good for a job. Or if he's, uh, you know, if he's capable of doing something uh, for somebody else. Whatever it is, you will always be tainted. Your image of that person will always be tainted. And you will spread that false image or that image to other people, when it might very well not be true, it might have just been Pitpute Dvarim, it was just chirping, it was just innocent twittering, but you have really destroyed that person's shidduch, livelihood, perception. You've mamish killed the person, literally. You don't realize that you thought it was all nice, fun and games, a nice, you know, a nice discussion you were having, you were trying to be social, but that type of being social is so destructive that 
it's really nothing short of Shvich HaStamim. So the first side that we see from the way that we're taking two birds, one is talking Lashon Hara, Petut Edvarm, about the other. One gets shechted, which is what you've done, and we take that live bird, that's you, and we dunk you into the blood of your, of your friend because that's really what you did. You were miskaya over your friend. You killed him. You got pride over killing him. You're basically now completely tarnished with the blood of your friend. This is Lashonara. This is why everybody goes so crazy about you know making all types of Kabbalists about not speaking Lashonara, why the Chavetz Chaim dedicated his entire life to spreading this mitzvah. This is not a, this is not something that the Chavetz Chaim invented. Shmir Salashin is not the Chavetz Chaim's invention. It's in the Torah. Many times, many assays that you're either, every time you speak Lashonara, many lavin that you're either, this goes back very far, far back. The Chavetz Chaim just publicized it. He wrote Svarim about it. He went and preached about it because he was concerned for his people. And by bringing it to the forefront, it was a forgotten mitzvah. People weren't so medactic on this until the Chavetz Chaim came around and reminded them of how destructive this is, how severe it is, and how we have to really work on it because it's really murder. There's a lot of Averis in the Torah that we don't find campaigns to be mocked about it. We don't find, you know, that there are calendars to learn a certain amount of halachas a day about. We don't find that there's machsam lafi programs that you set aside an hour a day, let's say, that I'm not going to speak Lashon Hara. Why not? Why don't we do that for machalos asuras and for other types of averas? There's so many averas that we could that we could find for this. And the answer is because because Lashon Hara is in a league of its own. It's such a destructive force, and it seems so innocent. The other Averis, you know, you do, but you know that you're doing something wrong. And you don't realize, you know, really the effects of it. So those are safe to assume that people that are B'nai Taira, people that are, are Medactic and Mitzvahs, they're probably not going to go and eat Tarifas. They're probably not going to go and do certain Averis that are really very bad, but it's understood that they're bad. This is an Avera that's so innocent it's done in public. You're not going to eat McDonald's at your Shabbos table, but you have no problem speaking Lashon Hara at your Shabbos table. And because it seems so innocent, but yet it's so destructive and so potent, that's why it's so important to discuss it and to think about it and to really try to work on it. And of course... This is something that the Chavetz Chaim really spent his life teaching us. And there's a great story about the Chavetz Chaim that I always felt illustrates so well the real power, the real domino effect that Lashon Hara causes. The Chavetz Chaim was once on a Shlichas Ladvar Mitzvah. He was going to do some mitzvah mission. And there was a, a person that asked if he could come along with the Chavetz Chaim on this mission, a Rav, and the Chavetz Chaim said, okay. They went together, and on the way, they stayed in a certain inn. And this inn had a little restaurant in it that the innkeeper provided her guests with food. And the Chavetz Chaim 
ate there together with this rabbi at, at a table, one, dinner one night. And at the end of the meal, towards the end of the meal, the innkeeper, knowing how hush of a guest she had, approached the Chavetz Chaim's table and asked the Chavetz Chaim if he enjoyed the meal. The Chavetz Chaim immediately put a big smile on his face and everything was delicious, it's perfect, thank you so much. Uh, the kashras, uh, you know, I understand is impeccable. The food, the soup, and the chicken, and the, the dessert, everything was delicious, thank you. And she was smiling, and then she turns to this other person at the table, this, the Chavetz Chaim's, um, you know, person that uh, was coming along on the mission, and... Um, and what did you think of the meal? The person said, it was, it was pretty good, but the, uh, you know, the, uh, the soup was uh, too salty. Somebody put too much salt in the soup. And the Chavetz Chaim started turning red and, and, and got very, was getting like really, really upset. In the meantime, the, the innkeeper walked away. The Chavetz Chaim starts scolding this person who accompanied him on this mission. He says, do you know that my whole life I was makbed not to speak Lashon Hara? You asked to come along with me on the mission. I didn't really want to take you. You know, it was, I could have done it myself. You insisted. I, I brought you along. Here I am sitting in a restaurant in the inn, and she asks an innocent question. Just say that the, everything was delicious. Why do you have to say what you said? Why did you have to speak Lashon Hara? He said, what Lashon Hara? I spoke about a, a bowl of soup. He says, who do you think made the soup? He says, you think the, the soup was manam and hashamayim that came down and, and landed in a bowl? Do you think the innkeeper herself, Bechvay Dabatsu, made the soup? She's too busy running the hotel. Who made the soup? There was a, probably an almana, a widow who needed to make parnasa. She took this job in the kitchen of this inn. And she is working hard, trying to do everything, trying to raise her children on a meager salary. And you come with your Lashon Hara and you say that the salt, that there was too much salt in the soup. Now the innkeeper is going to probably go to the back of the kitchen as we speak. And she's going to find the almana and she's going to say very harsh words to the almana. She's going to be in violation of you're not supposed to oppress the widow and the orphan. And then she's going to say, why did you put so much salt in the soup? I told you I want the soup, you know, not so salty. She says, what are you talking about? I, I, I made the soup perfectly. She says, really? You're questioning the Chavetz Chaim and his friend? The Gadol is said that, you know, his, the person at the Gadol table said there's too much salt. Are you you're more chashev than, than the Chavetz Chaim's friend? And she's going to say, I didn't put too much. It's going to get into a whole argument, probably. And in the end, the almana is going to you know, insist that she's right. And she's going to get fired from her job. All because of you. You're going to destroy her livelihood. Because you have to speak Lashon Hara. He says, listen. He says, Rebbe, I think we're getting a little out of hand over here. It's not. I, I only said that the, there was a little too much salt in the soup. She probably, the innkeeper probably went back to her office, forgot about the comment, it didn't make a big deal. Why, why, why are you saying all this? So Chavetz Chaim says, come, let's see what's really going on. Let's see if I'm right. And sure enough, as if the Chavetz Chaim was reading from a script, 
They go to the kitchen, they peek in, and exactly as the Chavetz Chaim was saying what would happen, that's what happened. She insisted that there wasn't so much salt. She said the Chavetz Chaim, you know, companion for the trip, you know, said that there was, and fighting, and back and forth, and before you know it, she's, she's fired. And this person saw this all playing out right before his eyes, and he runs into the kitchen and pleads with the innkeeper, please don't let her lose her job. And eventually she consented, and, and he was able to sort of put things back in place. But that's exactly what happens when we speak Lashonar. It's hard to really imagine, but that's really what we're doing. What we're doing is, we might, it might seem so innocent and so non-threatening, like we didn't even say a, a really bad thing. We said something about, you know, we're sitting and talking about, we do, we, I think we all do this. You know, we're talking about a restaurant. Yeah, I went there. How was it? Nah, it wasn't so good. It wasn't worth the money. It wasn't so good. It wasn't, you know, people write reviews online and about stores and about businesses and about what you're really doing is, what we're really doing is, we're really, unbeknownst to us, we're, we're unleashing a tsunami of problems for people by speaking or by typing seemingly innocent things. It was social. I was talking to you about a restaurant. It's probably built in that they understand people are criticizing it or people are reviewing it. That's all part of being in the bit. Really, how do you know that? Who told you that? Because you, Paskin, are you the Chavetz Chaim? Did you check the Chavetz Chaim, the Shmir Salashen, before you decided to type that review about the restaurant, about that business, about that, uh, about that event, about that hotel, about who asked you to do that? But what you're doing is you're destroying people. We're destroying people's livelihoods. They also have to finance their family. They also have to put their kids through yeshiva. They also have to pay their, pay their monthly rent. We have to be so careful about what we're doing. We're literally dipping ourselves into the dam of somebody else. The Lekach Das goes further and says the next step in the process is we take that live bird with the blood on it and we set it free up that goes and flies far away. He says, what's that all about? Very simple, he says. When we speak Lashon Hara about somebody else, another reason why it's so severe is because what we're essentially doing is we are putting into motion, setting into motion something that's irretrievable. Just like the tzipar that flies far away, you can't really catch a bird, right? Once a bird is flying, try to catch him. We can't fly, we don't know where he's going. He's going, mamish, me'evel, ayam, where is he going? You can't bring back the Lashonara that you spoke about. I think we're all thinking maybe of the famous story about a person who asked his rav, how he does tshuva for Lashon Hara. I spoke Lashon Hara, it's Erev Yom Kippur, I want to do, I want to be Mechaper. What do I do, Rabbi? So the Rav says, okay, you really want to do Lashon Hara for tshuva? Uh, tshuva for Lashon Hara? I'll tell you how to do it. He says, you have a chicken? He says, yeah, I have a lot of chickens. He says, okay, bring me one chicken. So okay, good. He thought that he was going to like sort of, you know, chef the chicken, make some sort of uh, carbon to be a to be Mechaper. He says, bring me the, brings the chicken, he says, beautiful. He says, okay, that's it. We're good, Rabbi? He says, no, no, not yet. 
He says, now, take the feathers. There's like, you know, maybe a thousand feathers on every chicken. Take the thousand feathers off the chicken. Pluck them all out one after another. So, okay, fine, that's doable. Pluck it all out. One, it took him, uh, you know, like an hour to do. Okay, comes back with a big bag of feathers. And now he says, okay, Rabbi, we're good. He says, almost, be patient. He says, how's the, how's the weather outside? He says, it's very, very windy. He says, perfect. He says, go out into the street and open up the bag of feathers and let the feathers fly all across the countryside, all down the streets, every mubby, every, every chatzah, every, as far as they can go. He does that. He comes back. He says, Rabbi, okay, my tshuva is complete. He says, not yet. He says, now I want you to go and retrieve every one of those thousand feathers. He says, I can't. He says, they're, they're all over. They're, they're a million miles away in every direction. He says, exactly. That's the point. When you speak Lashon Hara about somebody else, you really can't do tshuva. It's an Aveira that you can't do tshuva for. You could do tshuva for many Aveiras, but that's, this is one thing that it's really cannot impossible to ever do tshuva for. You could do tshuva, you know, that you did the Aveira against the Rabbi Nishlam, but how are you going to be mechaper for when you told me 10 years ago that that guy, you know, isn't so smart, you put that in my head, and now because of that I told 10 people who told another 10 people who told, you know, and before you know it there is, you know, a thousand people that think that this guy's not so smart. Shidochim destroyed, Parnasa destroyed, Ben Adam Chaver destroyed, marriages destroyed. All because I opened up my mouth. How am I going to retreat? What am I going to do? How do I, how am I mechaper? I can go over to him and ask Mechila, but the damage is done. Am I going to also ask Mechila on behalf of the thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand people that know about this Lashon Hara? Because of me, because of the domino effect of Lashnar, how am I going to put all those feathers back in the bag? How do I get the genie back in the bottle? I can't. That's the tragedy of Lashnara. We're spreading gossip that spreads so fast. And these are things that we spoke about, you know, when the Chavetz Chaim was alive in the 1930s and before. But the Chavetz Chaim, I don't think, ever fathomed what would happen in our generation? You know, what the advent of, of, of Twitter, what the advent of WhatsApp, what's the, what the advent of Facebook, this, these social media instruments are literally weapons of mass destruction. You can literally kill a person, not not that I'm telling you you're going to tell somebody else. That's a slow drip of Lashonara. That might even be possible, you know, if I do it quick enough, I could sort of go over to you and say, you didn't tell anyone about, well, I did tell Chaim, okay, I could maybe, you know, retrace my steps and try to really, I, I made a mistake, the guy's a genius, he's not, he's not stupid, he's very smart, you know, and try to really rehabilitate everybody that I, that, that got affected by, my, by the virus that I spread, maybe I could stop that. But with social media... The whole point of social media is to get the message across to as many people as possible. Isn't that what social media is? I want to be able to single hand if I if I if I put something up on a WhatsApp group with uh, with 300 people, suddenly 300 people in a second know something. 
Now, if you're sp- saying a Dvar Torah, that's a beautiful way of using it. But do you know how often you get messages? I- I'm thinking in particular of, of videos. Sometimes, you know, it's a video clip. I remember a few years ago, I don't even want to say it because the, the, the person who it's about, you know, I don't want to re, you know, relive what, what this guy probably went through, but it was a, a person that was being videoed in a certain, I don't even want to get too specific, but it was in a certain, a certain venue, and I don't know who the person is, I have no idea who the person is, but it was something very funny about the person. Somebody videoed something very funny about an individual, and it was hysterically funny, it really was, but it was Nebuch on this guy's, on this guy's, you know, dime, everybody was having a good laugh. It was like, it was an innocent joke. It was like something that was very funny, but it literally went viral. It was like thousands, probably maybe, I don't know, millions of people that saw this video because everybody was spreading it around. It was funny. It was like, so we think it's like an anonymous uh, Jew that, you know, that it was about, but, it, but to many people, they know who this guy is. Not a, not a, you know, uh, there's no such thing as a generic person. He has a family. He has children. He has maybe grandchildren. And and because you sent me that video, and I sent it to 20 other people who sent it to a million other people, this guy is 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 really suffering. Now, I just wanted to be funny. I sent I, I sent it to you after I got it. I wanted you to laugh, but it, it goes viral. You can't stop it. That's really the danger of, of social media. It's just like if Lashon Hara is bad, then social media is bad on steroids. It's like, it's, it's bad. So, you know, on, you go on, a, on, a, on these quote-unquote from websites, you know, the news websites, and uh, they give you news, and, uh, but then they have room for comments. I don't know why they do that. I know why they do They do it because they want people to comment to, to their website, because that's the Gishmaka part about you know, hearing every shivasha, you know, hack about like, you know, what the take is. What, what what's the Elam Tining about this news story? You know, is he good? Is he bad? Is he is he kosher? Is he trafe? Is he this? Is he that? But you're putting a comment on it. You're anonymous. You don't. No one knows who you are, so you don't even have to back off what you said. But you say something that's really, you know, harmful to the person that's that you're talking about, and. Now, literally thousands upon thousands of people are seeing it. What right did you have to do that? Because the person who owns the website was silly enough to put the ability, to give people the ability to comment on it, that's his din b'chesh b'n shemayim. But I don't have the ability to type on there a comment that will be viewed by thousands of people that will, that will taint and slant and, and distort a human being's life. So that's the second symbolism of the birds. You take one bird, you shecht it, which is what you did, blood is spilled, you take the live bird, you dunk it into the blood of the spilled, of the dead bird, and now you send it across the, the fruited plain to fly. That's Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara is basically irretrievable harm, damage, destruction, death, that's what Lashonara does. Make no mistake about it. You've spread it so far and so wide that you can never get it back. Like that bird that flies, goodbye, you're never going to see it again. You will never be able to stop it from spreading. 
I wanted to add a third insight into the symbolism that's going on over here. And that is that the live bird, the one that spoke Lashon Hara, he is forever meluchloch. He is forever soiled by the scarlet letter, by that stain, the blood stain of the dead bird stays on his body forever. Until the... Uh, forever. Not only was he... Not only was he completely immersed in the blood of the other bird, not only was he set out to fly, but that blood remains on him for all time. He's maluchloch, he's dirty, he's sullied by the blood of that other bird. That's a very important step of understanding Lashon Hara as well. And I think it's perhaps the most important way to stop speaking Lashon Hara, which is what I promised at the beginning of the Shmuz. I said that if we want, and I was very deliberate, because this is a matter of wanting. If we want to stop it, we can. And I'm going to give you the poison pill to do it, but you have to want to do it. Because it's like everything else. It's like, you know, it's sort of like dieting. You know, you want to diet, you want to stop eating those carbs, but now it's Monday, it's pizza day in yeshiva, you go up to the, and you know, you have it. If you, if you want to eat it, you're going to eat it. You have to really be strong, but I'm going to give you the tool, and I'm going to give myself it at the same time, to really try to be strong when it comes to Lashonara. This is the poison pill, okay? It's, you can learn Lashonara, Hilkas Lashonara back and forth, you can learn a lesson a day, Chavetz Chaim, and it's all nice, it's very helpful, and it's very vital. But it's not as powerful as the pill that I'm going to give you right now if you want to really stop speaking Russian. You have to want it. There's a chayvis halvavis. You have to see for yourself inside because it's absolute dynamite. Um, and many of you may have heard it, but I'm going to tell it to you again, and I'm going to explain it to you. The chavis halvavis is at the in the end of Perak Zion of Shar HaKniya. Chavis was perhaps the most important, influential Musar Sefer of Jewish history. Very old, written by a Kadman. It's very powerful stuff. And it's very authentic, and it's very reliable. And it's very real. Listen to what the Chavis says. He says that once upon a time, there was a person who somebody spoke Lashon Hara about. Okay, so let's say there's Reuven and Shimon. Reuven spoke Lashon Hara about Shimon. Shimon, on Erev Shabbos, sends Reuven a beautiful gift basket from the local candy store. And on the gift basket, he includes the following card. He says, thank you so much for speaking Lashon Hara about me because you have given me so much by doing so. Now, what has he given him? So the Chavis Havavis explains something unbelievable. He says like this. He says, we're going to go up to Shemayim someday. We're all going to go up to Shemayim. And we're going to see all of the mitzvahs that we did in, in life and we're going to see all the Averis that we did. But there's going to be something very interesting about that process. You're going to see mitzvahs that you never did in your life. And you're going to see Averis that you never did in your life. 
You're going to see Averis that like, what? I, I did that Avera. When, when did I do that Avera? I never did that. I've done it in a million years. That's disgusting. I would never do that. Oh, but you did. No, I didn't. You must have the wrong guy. She said, well, maybe you, you yourself didn't do it, but the person that you spoke Lashon Hara about did do it, and therefore you spoke Lashon Hara about that person, your punishment is that you get all of that person's Averis. Reuven speaks Lashon Hara about Shimon. All of Shimon's Averis get transferred from, get wired, like from one bank account to another. All of Shimon's Averis get wired to Reuven's bank account. And all of Reuven's mitzvahs get wired at the same time into Shimon's bank account. So think about that a second. You're speaking Lashon Hara about somebody. Obviously you don't like the guy, otherwise you wouldn't be speaking Lashon Hara about him. Guess what you're doing? You're giving him all of your mitzvahs, all of your zchusim. You, you know, you spent your whole life speaking, learning Taira, and you spend your whole life putting on tefillin, and tzitzis, and davening, and lulav and esrug, and, uh, and tzedakah, and matanah slavyanim, and mishlech manis, and ner chanukah, and ner shabbat. All the mitzvahs that you've accrued all your life, you're waiting for your luchdegai lamhaba to, you know, come home and, and, and get the idana amiti, the eineg of, of all the schar of that mitzvah, of all those mitzvahs, and guess what you just did? You just gave all of that to your friend or to your enemy that you spoke Lashon Hara about. And he spent the whole life accruing Averis, and he, all of those Averis get into your bank account. It's something like that's so strange. But that's what the Chayvis Havavis says happens. Look it up yourself. It's, 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 it's bizarre. What's the lumdus behind this? How does this happen? So... I had a theory about how it happens, and I saw Reb Dessler says sort of a similar idea in his Mechtem but I'll put it in my own words. When I speak Lashon Hara about you, what gives me credibility? Why would people believe me that you're a, you're a bad guy, you did this Avera, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're not honest in business, whatever it is. Why would I have credibility? What gives me credibility? The answer is that people think that, you know, I'm a chashuva person, I'm a rabbi, I have mitzvahs that I do. So meaning, all my mitzvahs that I have give me tremendous leverage against you. People trust me because I'm a, I'm a tzaddik, because I'm a good guy, because people think that I'm a tamachacham. All of that those chusim that I have in my bank account, I'm basically using as pressure on your reputation. The full force of all of my taira and all of my mitzvahs is being used against you. Furthermore, why are people believing me that you're not a good guy? Because you're not a perfect person. You're compromised. You have Averis. Your Averis, the force of your Averis, is helping me in my credibility, in my believability, in what I'm saying. People are listening to me because Taka, you know, I know that he's, you know, he, he's, not, he's not the Tzadik Adar, so probably what I'm saying about him is probably Emes. 
what comes out, Rabbi Say, is that my mitzvahs are a force to reckon with against you. Your averis are a force to reckon with against yourself in, the, in terms of what I'm saying about you. Mida keneged mida, all of my mitzvahs that I use as ammunition against you go to you. All of your averis that weakened your, your ability to defend yourself now go to me. Is there a greater poison pill than this Chayvis Habavis in stopping Lashon Hara? If we would have this Chayvis Habavis in front of us at all times, would I ever remotely dream about speaking Lashon Hara? I'd, I'd have to be absolutely insane to speak Lashon Hara. Because if you, speak, if you think about Lashon Hara, it's an issue. Right, there's a lot of Isurim. I'm either a lot of Isurim. So, you know, count this, chalk this up to, to my list of Averis, and I'm going to gonna have to do Tshuva for Kam Yom Kippur. But if Lashon Hara is so extreme in that literally my life's work is going down the drain and it's all going to you, that you should send me a gift basket on Arab Shabbos when you find out that I spoke Lashon Hara about Thank you so much. You gave me all of all your mitzvahs. That's incredible. And you took all of my Averis. Thank, I can't thank you enough. Could you imagine the busyness can you imagine the charata that a person has on Yom Adin? Why did I have to say that piece of Lashonara? Am I crazy for that little tidbit of gossip that wasn't even so geschmack? I have to lose all of my life's work. Think about what you're doing. Would you do that with your money? If, if let's say, I say, okay, you could speak Lashonara about him, but all of what, your savings, your entire savings account, all of your stocks, all of your real estate, your house and your car, whatever, all go to him. I, would I ever do that in a million years? Why would you do that with your entire cumulative life's work? Why would you want this guy's Averis? Do I know what type of Averis this guy? I, can't even, I don't even know what Averis I'm doing. I'm supposed to know what, what he's doing. I have to get his Averis also. If we would be able to understand this, this is like the, the easiest way to stop speaking Lashonar. You stop it in its tracks because... It, it's just so, such an act of lunacy if we believe this Chavis Ababis to, to speak Lashon And that's what the bird is. Think about it. The bird that spoke Lashon has the blood of his victim, not just temporarily, but that blood stays on the bird forever and ever. You're going to find that bird you know, in China someday. It's still going to have that that. The blood, the lichluch, the slime of the of the of, of of the of the carcass of the dead bird that you killed stays with you forever. All of his averis are going to be on your record forever and ever and ever. And the beauty that you used to have, your cleanliness, your mitzvahs, gone forever. These are the lessons of, of the Tyrus Hamitsaira. And you just have to be able to to really put this into action, it's so important on these parashas, Tazriya Mitzrayah, it gives us an opportunity to really reflect on our habits, our social habits. And it gives us a time, you know, just like Yom Kippur is a time that we get to do tshuva b'chlau, Tazriya Mitzrayah is a time that we reflect a little bit b'frat about this most dangerous of mitzvahs or of averis called Lashon Hara. 
You're not going to want to hear a shmuz about it, Parshas Nayach. You're not going to want to hear a shmuz about it, Parshas Bishalach. But you will want to hear a shmuz about it, Parshas Hazriya Mitzvah, because now is when we can really have a little time to reflect on how severe it is, the extent of the damage, the murderous action which Lashnara is, the fact that you'll never really be able to do tshuva for every other because you're, you're, you have spread those feathers so wide and so far, like that bird that's apneasadeh. And finally, the lichluch that you've put on yourself by speaking Lashon Hara stays literally. When Netzach Netzachim, all of the Averis stay with you of that bird that was shafted by you. There's a story that's told about the Chavetz Chaim on Purim. On Purim, the Chavetz Chaim was giving in his yeshiva a masiba. And the Bachrim were getting a little shikr. And one Bachr comes to the Chavetz Chaim, and he's totally shikr. And he says, Rebbe, Chavetz Chaim smiles, he sees that he's a little shikr. He says, yes, what would you like? He says, I want you to promise me that in Eilam Haba, I will sit in your mechitza right next to you. I want the, you know, if you're going to be on the dais, and no doubt the Chavetz Chaim is Mamish center dais on, in, in Eilam Haba, I want you to promise, I'm your Talmud, I'm in your yeshiva, I want you to promise me that you'll sit next to me, that I'm going to sit next to you. Save me that seat next to you. So the Chavetz Chaim smiles, and he sort of like just, you know, whisks him away, and the people like start pulling him back. But the, he's strong, and he's drunk, and he goes again a few minutes later, and he says, Rebbe, you didn't promise me. Promise me that I'm going to sit in Eilam Haba next to you. Chavetz Chaim again, you know, starts, you know, chutzpah, you know, like, you now it's not cute anymore, like, stop. And again, he breaks free from all the people trying to hold him back and says, Rebbe, I'm asking you a third time. I want to sit next to you in Eilam Haba. Rabbi Chaim looks at him with his holy eyes and he says, okay, deal. You asked me three times on Purim, I'm going to let you sit next to me in Eilam Haba, but one condition. And the condition is be macabre on yourself that now and forever, for the rest of your life, you're not going to speak Lashon Hara. That's my mitzvah. That's what I worked on. That's what I tried to publicize in my life. If I'm going to get a chelik and I don't have it, it's going to be in that schos. I can't have somebody that's Mustafa Lashonara sitting next to me. You want to speak, stop speaking Lashonara? Then you'll get to sit next to that promise. We'll, we'll, we'll shake on it. Kiaskaf. We'll make it to Kiaskaf. We'll shake. Deal. So now all eyes are on this bacher. So the, the Bachar immediately sobered up and he said, Rabbi, I can't do it. Can't. How can I stop speaking Lashon Hara? I, I can't stop breathing. I can't stop breathing. I can't stop speaking Lashon Hara. It's impossible. Can't do it. Chavetz Chaim got very upset. Chavetz Chaim said, Look at what's happening over here. He says, a, a person is on the threshold of Nitzchias. 
a person is on the threshold of gaining Eilam Haba or Netzach Nitzachem and he doesn't enter, you're standing on the threshold of Eilam Haba. I'm, I'm offering you a deal of a lifetime, a deal of a century. I'm offering you the chance to sit next to me in Eilam Haba or Netzach Nitzachem, 10 trillion years cubed. And you're not grabbing the opportunity? Get him away from me. And they pulled the bacher away. When I used to hear this story, I got very agitated. What kind of foolish bacher is this? A bentaira in Radin by the Chavetz Chaim, couldn't he just take the deal? Was he crazy? When I got older, I began to re- realize something. That that offer wasn't made just to that bacher. What, that bacher, because he, you know, he, was, he was shikr, he got special chuyot, he got a special deal from the Chavetz Chaim, just with that bacher, that day, that chance, and, and, and from then on, nobody else has that deal? I contend that the Chavetz Chaim did not just throw out that offer to that bacher, but he threw it out to all of us. And the Chavetz Chaim is basically saying to all of us that if you want to sit next to me in Eilam Haba, there's a seat available. You want to take it. Just stop speaking Lashon Hara. You want to be in the Mechitza of the Chavetz Chaim? You could do it. Just stop speaking Lashon Hara. That's all you have to do. That deal was not made to that bacher alone. That deal was made to you and to you and to you and to me. If we stop speaking Lashon Hara, we'll be in the Mechitz of the Chavetz Chaim. So what's our excuse? That bacher wasn't crazy. We're all crazy. The answer is that we feel that it's impossible to stop speaking Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara is like a, a, it's like, it's like oxygen for us. We sit by a Shabbos table, we're in our dorm rooms, we're on, on the bus, on a plane, walking with our friends. We speak Lashon Hara. That's what we do. That's what makes us us. That's part of my personality. I don't want, I'm not proud of it, but that's, I'm a Geshmaka guy. I'm a, I'm a Chevraman. I, I speak about people. I, you know, I speak about politics. I speak about politics. Federal politics, state politics, local politics, shul politics, lander politics, chevra politics. I'm a, I'm a politician. That's what I do. I'm a social person. I'm on social media. People don't want to read about, you know, about G'dayim uh, on social media. They want to hear hot. I'm going to give them the hot that they want to hear. I want to get a lot of followers on my Instagram account. That's the way you do it, right? If I tweet, like, you know, cute quotes... No one cares. If I tweet about other people or videos that will go viral, then I'm going to get a lot of followers on Twitter. That's a fun cue. When I was in Kol in Eretz Yisrael, there was a bacher he was already an average. He was maybe in his mid-twenties. And word on the street in Kaltaira was that 
he was mekabel on himself not to speak Lashon Hara from his bar mitzvah. And that Hitaka never spoke Lashon Hara since his bar mitzvah. Now this guy wasn't a hermit. He wasn't a guy that was like weird. He wasn't like just a guy sitting in the corner of the base medrash that, you know, that, uh, that nobody wanted. He was a popular guy. He was a regular guy. He's just a regular guy that didn't speak Lashon Hara. You could do it. The Chavetz Chaim was not a hermit. The Chavetz Chaim was quite talkative from what I hear. Chavetz Chaim was geschmack. He shmooz. He told stories of Gedalim. He's told Mishalim. He told, you know, he was a, he's a normal human being. He wasn't, he wasn't, you know, somebody that was not approachable. He was approachable. He was, he was, he was nice. He was fine. He was normal. He was sweet. He was in, informative. He was brilliant. He was kind. He was, he had a family. He had friends. He had a chavra. He had a, he had a community. He just didn't speak Lashon Hara. It's doable. It's not oxygen Lashon Hara. You could be normal, you could be fine, you could be sweet, and you're makbid on Lashon Hara. We could all be that. And if we're that, then we could get that seat next to the Chavetz Chaim and Eilam Haba, and we'll be nicer people. People will like us more, they'll trust us more if we're not speaking Lashon Hara. If we're not full of gossip in our mouth. I was once at a... Uh, at a chasna, um, one of my sons, you know, was in uh, was in yeshiva katana, and uh, you know, one of his rabbeim made a chasna, so it was like a chasidish chasna, in I guess it was in Borough Park or Williamsburg, and it was many years ago, and I I wish I had stolen this card from the table. I'll tell you why in a second. Um, it was like a simple chasna. And it was probably the nicest chasna I've ever been to. And people think in order to make a nice chasna, you have to do it in this fancy place with like a 20-piece band and, and, you know, and a huge smorg and, you know, and, and a main and a soup and a this and a salad. You know, and you have to spend the minimum of you know, $300,000 to make a really nice chasna. This chasna probably costs maybe $5,000 know, from soup to nuts, everything. And literally, I think that's all there was, soup and nuts. But um, no, literally, there was there was like some potato kugel that was the smorg, and then the main was like a piece of chicken, and uh, there was a one-piece band, and it was a beautiful chasna. And what was wrong? They're married just as much as anyone else is married, and they just saved themselves, you know, a lot of money. And who needs it? Anyway, but that's another schmooze. But on the tables of this beautiful chasna. There was a card, and I wish I had saved it because I don't know if I remember the nusach perfectly, and it was such a perfect nusach. But basically, it was like this, said something like this: it "said without lashon hara on your tongue, the food tastes that much better, and without lashon hara in your ears, the music is that much sweeter." Life is better without Lashon Hara. Life is not worse because you can't speak. Lashon Hara ruins lives. It doesn't only ruin the life of the person you spoke to. It ruins our life. Who wants to be friends with a person that just speaks Lashon Hara? Because you're the, next on, you're the next guy on his chopping block. Is a Shabbos table full of Lashon Hara, you feel good after that Shabbos table is over? After the meal, after you bench and you go home, you feel good about yourself? You just destroyed 20 lives? 
Shabbos table with Zmiras, with Tyra, with, with nice talking, with talking about ideas. That's what's beautiful about Shabbos. That's what's beautiful about family. That's what's beautiful about friendships, is that you're talking nicely. Is it such a kunst to speak bad about other people? That's not a kunst. Anyone could do that. But try speaking like a mensch about other people, finding the good in other people, speaking sweet things about other people. Or not even talking about people, talking about ideas, talking about chidushet taira, talking about inventions, talking about dreams, talking about aspirations. Is that so bad? It's beautiful. That's life. So Lashonara is a is the most horrible weapon, and Lashonataiva is the most beautiful thing that we could have in our lives. It'll bring us so much bracha, so much simcha, so much normalcy. We don't have to contend with all the toxic muck and guck of, of, of speaking badly about others and having people mad at us and speaking badly about us and, and just making machleksen and, and, and horrible tsunamis of, of tension. Who needs it? You're not going to lose. We're not going to lose by being makbed on Lashnar. People will like us better. We'll get Elam Haza, we'll get Elam Haba. But we have to try, we have to want it. We have to be not just on the threshold, but actually enter into the Mechitzas of the Chavetz Chaim. And if we could do that, our life will be amazing. Amazing. This is the Tyra of the, the Tzipayrim. The Tyra is telling us so symbolically what we do when we speak Lashon Hara, how it affects us, how it sticks to us, the lichluch, the grime and the, and the, and the guk of Lashon Hara, it stays with us in Eilamaz and Eilam Abba. But if we want, we can be Matara ourselves. If we get the lesson of the birds, then we have Tara. We're able to clean up the tsaras from our lives, from our bodies, from our homes, from our, from our, from, from our surroundings, and enter into the world of the Helega Chavetz Chaim, enter into his mechitzas, the mechitzas of beauty, the mechitzas of light. How beautiful our mouths will be, how beautiful the food will taste, how beautiful, how sweet the music will sound. If we are mekadesh, our, our lashen, from mekadesh, our aznayim, if our whole bodies become a clea of Kedusha as opposed to the opposite. Have a good chance.